Father, you know things that we do not know, and you see things that we cannot see. We pray that you would be with us and give us understanding into your word, into who you are, and who we are. We ask this all in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. We're going to take a short detour from the realm of religion to talk about the realm of politics. And I have one question for you this morning as my boss's blood pressure stabilizes. (laughs) What's wrong with the political system in our country? What's wrong with it? Each of us could talk for a long time answering that question. But I'm going to cut to the chase since our time is limited. Here is the core fundamental issue that plagues our political system. They don't use my ideas. (laughs) I can't be the only one here that thinks that this morning, but some days, doesn't that feel like the truth? If they just used my ideas, if they just used your ideas, things would be so much better. The economy would take off, the debt would be paid down, our social ills would slowly recede, you know, on a, on a very good day, when I'm very sober-minded and, and extraordinarily humble, I can admit that, you know what, if they implemented my ideas, they might not work out as I anticipated. But most days when I pick up the paper or see the news, I think, oh my gosh, what are these people doing? It's so simple. As you know, we're waiting for a presidential election to happen next November. And when presidential elections happen, they do two things. They provide fresh hope, hope that the future will be better. And they also provide fresh delusion. (laughs) Delusion that a, a certain leader, whether a new one or an old one, can fix the things we think they can. And they provide fresh delusion in ourselves about our own ideas, about the best path forward. Let's return one more time to my original question. What's wrong with our political system? Here's a more serious answer. It lacks at least three of the qualities that the person described in Isaiah 11 has. Perfect love, perfect power, and perfect knowledge. If your pew Bible is near to you, could you grab it and open up to Isaiah 11? It's on page 558. Page 558. In that passage that Brenda read for us, we see described what will happen when Jesus returns and is seated on his throne. It's a beautiful picture of everything being just the way it should be. The coming Messiah that Isaiah 11 describes has all the wisdom, all the understanding, and all the power in the world. And the beautiful part is, He also has all the love to use those other things rightly. Look at verse 3 with me. I think this is one of the most fascinating verses in the Bible. Verse 3 says, His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. This verse explains why we're so delusional. 
you and I make decisions and judge reality based on what we can or cannot see with our eyes. If we see something, then that must be the way it is. It has to be. You can't argue with hard evidence. If we hear something, that must be the way it is. And we think that those things are sufficient for recognizing what is going on in the world. But this verse tells us that sometimes there is more going on than we can perceive with our eyes and hear with our ears. This verse also explains why we're so delusional about the capabilities of our leaders, why we're perpetually disappointed with our political leaders. Because no matter how good their intentions are, they can only make decisions based on their limited capabilities of what their eyes see and their ears hear. Perhaps the most shocking example of how this has played out in the past decade has been the number of states that have either put a moratorium on the death penalty or have abolished it together. Not because they've, many of them, not because they've had some sudden change in the morality of the death penalty, but take the state of Illinois, for example. Earlier this year, they abolished the death penalty for good after discovering that 13 death row inmates had been wrongly convicted. In many of these cases, there was no malice by the lawyers or judges or juries. They were intelligent, discerning people. They were simply relying on what their eyes could see and their ears could hear, but since their understanding and our understanding is limited, they could not always see the full picture. They could not always tell when key witnesses were lying. I wonder what's going on in my life. I wonder what's going on in your life that we cannot see with our eyes or hear with our ears. I wonder what this all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God is up to behind the scenes in ways we can't see yet. Here's why understanding verse 3 is so important. There's two reasons. It's important to know that even though our lives and the world may be messed up, we have a God who is able and knows how to fix this stuff, even if we can't see the way he's working behind the scenes yet. And the second reason this verse is so important is because until we get to the point that we know deep down that we're imperfect and limited and messed up, we'll never understand Jesus or who he is, why he came or what he has to offer us. Sometimes it's tempting for me to think I don't need people's help, that I've, I've more or less got it together. If there's one person in the world who seems perfect, it's Tim Tebow. <laughs> Come on now, the guy's amazing. For those of you who don't know him, he is this awesome quarterback for the Denver Broncos. He did great in college. He was a, he was a sincere Christian. He was outspoken for his faith. He still is. But I like to think in a, in a way that isn't repulsive. But in college, he did fantastic. Won national championships, won all kinds of awards. But when he entered the NFL last year, 
Nobody expected him to do a thing. People were criticizing his throwing style and, and blah, blah, blah. So, enter this season. He's sitting on the bench through the first five games. He's not playing. His team loses four of those first five. So they're one and four. The season is pretty much in the trash. The coach puts in Tebow. And since then, they are leading their division. They've won seven of the last eight games. Amazing stuff. But what's just as amazing as his on-field heroics is what Tim Tebow does off the field. In the midst of the pressure cooker of the media and the NFL, he says stuff like this. He says that football is only a game and God doesn't care who wins. <laughs> Not bad. After the only loss that he suffered of the season, he was sacked seven times. It was embarrassing. And after one sack, an opposing player physically mocked him. He was asked about this at a press conference, and here's what he said. He said, he was probably just having fun, and was excited he made a good play and had a sack. And good for him. <laughs> Who says that kind of stuff? <laughs> we could go on and on and on about how great Tim Tebow is, and some of my friends know that. <laughs> but here's what makes Tim Tebow so perfect. He knows that he is not perfect. He knows that he's not perfect and that he needs a savior. And that's why he's constantly thanking God. That's why he's constantly praying and doing all the other stuff he does. He knows he is not perfect. Do we know how imperfect we are? Do we know how imperfect we are? There's no hope for us until we realize that. Isaiah 11 reminds us that we have limited knowledge. We have limited love. We have limited power. But our God has all three, and he's the only one we are waiting for who will not disappoint us. In Advent, we wait. We're all waiting for something. Some of us are waiting for leaders who will implement our ideas. Some for the perfect job or perfect promotion or perfect salary. Some for the perfect family, for perfect health. And those are not bad things to wait for. But we dupe ourselves when we think that those things can give us the life we want. We dupe ourselves when we think that we know how we can achieve what we achingly long for. There's only one person who can give us those things, and that person is the Jesus described in Isaiah 11. Final question. What does he want us to do with that knowledge? He wants us to tell him that we need him, whether for the first time or the 77th. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we here recounted this amazing story of salvation as we read all these passages today. We know that we are imperfect and that we need you. As we embark on our week, as we start out 
on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday. I pray that you would remind us how much we need you and how willing and ready you are to meet us, how you are the one that can bring us the things we need. And so we lift up our lives and ourselves to you, asking this all in your name. Amen.